you can turn over in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 19, and we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. We just finished a section on marriage and divorce and remarriage. Now we come to a study in, in a section of God's Word that's actually kind of a tender area, and uh, uh, it speaks of Jesus and children, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 13 to 15 this morning. And uh, this particular passage, just way of introduction, um, is not only recorded here in Matthew, but it's also recorded in Mark chapter 10 and also over in Luke chapter 18. So it's important enough to be included in all the uh, synoptic writers, their Gospels. And so we want to turn our hearts to God's Word this morning. You follow along as I read the text for us here in Matthew chapter 19. Verse 13, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Whenever you come to study the word of God, if you do it thoughtfully and carefully, uh, you'll find a couple things. Um... And one is this, is that there seems to be a wonderful balance within the Word of God. There just is, overall. And if you look at the, just the context of where we've been in Matthew chapter 18 and then chapter 19, uh, there seems to be a perfect arrangement, a perfect balance with what we're looking at in these two chapters. We see here about the character of those who belong to Christ's kingdom And they're tied together by a series of relationships. And we've looked at these. We've looked at, first of all, to other believers when the disciples were fighting among themselves who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then also to those who sinned against us. And we looked at how we need to be forgiving as the Lord is forgiving. And then we've been looking at the relationship between the husband or the wife, between the two of them, may they get a divorce or not, and the implications of marriage. We've been studying that. Well, today we're going to be looking at a section that deals with the character of children. Should they be included in the kingdom of heaven? And then next week, we'll be looking at the subject of money and uh, the rich and the poor and, and things like that. But this morning, we're going to be looking at this section that deals with Jesus correcting his disciples for wanting to drive away people from coming to him the parents who were bringing their children to be blessed. They were bringing their children to him to be prayed for and blessed. And that was a normal thing in that culture. And if you look in verse 14, you see here that Jesus said to them, let them come on to me. He encourages that. But then in the very next paragraph, and we'll be looking at this next Sunday, Jesus seems to drive away somebody who wants to follow him. And so there's always this balance in the word of God. Um, And the man is basically told to go because he's not willing to part with his possessions. But this morning we want to look at this idea of Jesus and the children. Jesus welcomed children whenever he could. And it's proof, really, of his gracious attitude, of the tender heart that he had. I mean, children 
are those beings that are truly uh, innocent in every way. I mean, not to say that they're not sinful. They are. They're born into sin just as we are. But they're innocent in the sense that they can't really take care of themselves. They can't really add anything to the conversation. They can't really add anything, bring anything to the plate, to the table, I should say. And so children are these, these beings who really the Lord, these creation that, that God created and he reaches out to them continuously. And we see here in chapter 18 of Matthew, back in verses 3 and 4, we looked at the idea where... Uh, the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus put a child on his lap in front of them, and he said, I'll tell you the truth, unless you change and become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so he put their, their argument kind of out there uh, right in front of them and said, unless you're willing to become like a little child... We can't help you. You have to have that humility. And so here Jesus is essentially teaching the same thing. He's essentially saying the same thing. And he's, he's pointing out to us that we really need to have that humility if we're going to come to the Lord. Now, in this particular case, remember, they just finished talking about divorce and marriage and whatnot, and we don't know what the, the time period here is. But as parents, okay, of children, and it was the case here for these young people as well, here in this text, when it says in verse 13, then children were brought to him that, they might, that he might lay hands on them and pray. All right, the situation is Jesus just got done discussing with his disciples. Remember, they were talking with the Pharisees, and then they went in the house, and then he was talking with the disciples because they were asking him about marriage and divorce and all this. And we don't know what happened in between verses 12 and 13. We're not really told. We don't know how much time went by. But we do know this, that these parents were concerned for their children. And they knew the history of Christ. They knew who Jesus was. They knew about his reputation. They were bringing these children, their children, to Christ to be blessed, to to have prayer, to have him lay his hands upon them. And so when you see that situation, okay, you have to understand the disciples are trying to get their time with Christ as well. This is their personal time. And all of a sudden, all these people are coming in and almost imposing themselves on their situation. And these parents, on the other hand, are parents who are really desirous to raise their children up and and to expose them to these kind of spiritual things. They knew the reputation of Christ, and they desired to do that. And so it says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them, and pray. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the text first, explain a couple things, and then we're going to actually go into some practical application for us here today. In Matthew, or in Mark and in Luke, those other two Gospels, when it says there that G- children were brought to him, it uses the, what they call in the, the original language the imperfect tense. And what that means is they were bringing and they kept on bringing. 
We're not talking one or two kids here, folks. I mean, we're talking a line out the door. Can you imagine Christ and having this line out the door? The disciples are trying to discuss things with him, and these parents keep on bringing these kids to the Savior. And they, their desire was to expose them to the Lord himself. And you see here what they did to these parents. It says the disciples rebuked the people. See, they were just following their culture. It was a very common thing for in their day, in their age, for, for people to bring their children to the synagogue and have them blessed by the rabbi. Similar to what we do today in uh, Protestant churches, we have what we call uh, children uh, dedicated to the Lord, where you dedicate the child and the parents to the Lord and raising the child and the admonition of the Lord. We do that on a regular basis. Well, they did the same thing back then, so they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. Now, these parents probably weren't followers of Christ. They probably weren't believers, but they were just saying, hey, I got my child, and I know this guy has some influence, and I want to get my child close to the one who has influence. And so the disciples obviously looked at that as an intrusion, and they started rebuking the people or the parents who were bringing their children to Christ. I mean, can you imagine It'd be like rebuking somebody who brought their child to church. We don't allow children in this church. I mean, can you imagine that? That would be crazy. I've been in churches where uh, they make the children go somewhere else. Here it's optional. If, if we have, we're taking the month of August off, by the way, for Sunday school. But, um, you know, when we have Sunday school, you're free to go to Sunday school. You're free to have your kids in the service, whatever they can handle, whatever makes it a... Pleasant experience for you and the child, I guess, and others. Um, but here, the disciples would not have it. And it says that as they were continually bringing these children to him, the same word rebuked, the disciples rebuked the people in verse 13. As they, the parents kept on bringing kids, they kept on bringing kids, they kept on lining up at the door, the disciples just kept on rebuking him. The more parents would come, the more disciples the more the disciples would rebuke him. And so Jesus is watching this go on. And it says in verse 14, But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. Remember, only a few days later, Jesus had taken a child, sat him on his lap, remember? Ran right in front of the disciples when they're arguing who's going to be the greatest. And he said, Unless you're like this little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And now the disciples are so thick-headed, they can't get this through their head. Parents are bringing children, and they look at it as a distraction. They look at it as something that would hinder the Lord from doing what he desires to do. Now, a couple things about what it says here. These children, the word children means everything from little babies right up to toddlers. So you had all sorts of kids. They were continually bringing him to him, and they wanted them to lay his hands on them and pray for them. Now, Jesus then, in turn, rebukes the disciples. He says, let the children come to me. And what he's doing there is basically he's clearly marking out for them. Let them come to me immediately. Do not hinder them from coming. 
Stop hindering them immediately and let them continue to come. That's what he's saying. And he's making it very clear for them. And from the Gospel of Mark, we see that the Lord was a little angry with the disciples. If you turn over to Mark chapter 10, verse 14, you can see that it shows a little bit of frustration there from the Lord's point of view as dealing with his disciples. I'm sure he got frustrated with those guys quite a bit. I mean, he was angry, first of all, because he really loved these children. He was angry because he also loved the parents, and he understood where they were coming from. And I think one of the main reasons he was frustrated with the disciples is that he wanted them to understand no one, not even the tiniest little infant, is outside of the hand of God's care and concern. The idea that children are unimportant or the idea that children are a mere distraction from the more important things in life is simply not true. It's not true today. It wasn't true back then. And so he was very clear with them to stop hindering these people from bringing their children, allow them to come. And we see a little bit of the the tenderness of Christ because he knows that a child is really a picture of humility, of dependency, of trust. That's why when somebody harms a child, it's so hideous. You think of some of the crimes that have gone on. It's disgusting. And yet... I think God supplies a special grace for those children. Now, remember, here in this situation, he says, don't hinder them from coming to me. He says, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He's using these children once again as an illustration of what it takes to come into the kingdom of heaven. You have to have the heart of a child. You have to have the faith of a child. You have to be willing to trust and depend on God. He's not saying these children here in this text are saved. He's not saying that. He doesn't talk about any faith they have. He doesn't say that at all. There's nothing in the text to indicate that he was talking about their salvation. But with that being said... And he doesn't mention any kind of a personal faith that the children expressed. He was simply saying that these children have a humility and a dependency and a trust that you need to have. You need to emulate that in your own life if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he clearly points that out. Now, this brings up an interesting point because... People usually ask the question, well, do you believe when babies died, they go to heaven? Are they saved? And I would say, yes, they are, based on the little that Scripture reveals to us. When children die before an age that they are capable of understanding the gospel and understanding who Christ is, and understanding that they need to accept or reject that. I think they're under the special protection of the sovereign king. 
We have the example of David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, when his son passed away, infant son born to Bathsheba. And David says, I will go to him. This was a baby. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Gives every indication that David had faith that one day he would see that little baby in heaven in the presence of the Lord. David knew that he himself belonged to God and that one day he would enter his presence. It is not that small children are regenerate or saved in the sense that we are. And then they lose their salvation when they get older and, and then they regain it if they accept Christ. I'm not saying that. I think it's rather that, his, that Christ's atoning death is applied on their behalf if they die before they're able to choose on their own. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few moments. But that's the text. It's kind of a simple, straightforward text. The parents are bringing children. The disciples rebuke them. Jesus rebukes the disciples and says, you know what, unless you're like one of these little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's look at some principles that we can apply there on the back of your outline. Uh, this, this text clearly outlines some certain responsibilities that both, I think, the parent and the church share toward children. And the first one is this. We are responsible for evangelizing our children. We're responsible for evangelizing our children. Now, like I said, nowhere in this text implies that Jesus was saving these children. That's just not there. He was merely praying for them and pronouncing a blessing on their lives. And that was uh, done throughout the Old Testament. But this scene teaches us that parents cared enough about the spiritual condition of these young children that they would bring them to someone who has some spiritual uh, knowledge, i.e. Christ, that they might be blessed through his hand of blessing and his prayer. Um, from the earliest passages of the Bible, believers have been challenged to share the things of God with their children. You can look all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and see that. And even in the New Testament, it's reiterated over in Ephesians chapter 6 verses four, uh, verse 4 that we should raise our children up in the admonition of the Lord. Parents should do everything, I think, within their power to ensure that their children are exposed to the gospel. That they're exposed to the gospel. That means bringing them to church on a consistent basis. It means giving them the opportunity to participate in Sunday school, in vacation Bible school. It means praying for them, praying with them, opening up the Bible with them at home. It means being open about your own faith in Christ, being consistent in your own life as a believer. For Sunday school teachers and other children workers, we need to share the gospel with these tender hearts. It's the primary responsibility of evangelizing these children really relies on, the, lays on the shoulders of mom and dad, not the church. John MacArthur has five little key words that he had in, in one of his writings about uh, guidance to parents 
and Christian workers when you're leading a child to Christ. And uh, they're not in your outline, but I'll put them up on the screen here. The first is remember that you should remember that every child is created by God and in that sense already belongs to him. God made your child. He knows what makes your child, what, what makes your child tick. Psalm 139 says, you did form my inward parts, the psalmist declares. You wove me in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Every child is a gift from God, a fruit of the womb. It's a reward, Psalm 127 says. And it's God's plan and it's God's desire that every child be returned to him for his use. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Remember whose these children are. Secondly, teach them. Christian parents have a high calling for bringing up children. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, in the admonition, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Even Timothy, when Paul was writing Timothy, he said, remember the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads from salvation, that you knew from your youth. He had somebody imparting that into his life. And that pattern for godly instruction is really what falls on the parent's lap. God's word is to be taught in the home to the children. But parents should also give visible reminders of God's word. Maybe it's a chart on the wall. Maybe it's a poster in the room. Something that points to the word of God. Children need to be aware of many false idols and what the world can lure them into and away from the Lord. So we need to teach them. Thirdly, simple word, model. See, you can't only just teach your children facts about the Bible. They have to see you live it out right in front of them. You can go throughout the Old Testament, whether it's Eli or David, uh, different characters in the Old Testament who raised their children not in the admonition of the Lord. And you see how the kids turned out. So it's very important that you, you do that. You model your faith for your children. Fourth, love. Kind of obvious. It's an imperative. And we don't need to say a whole lot about that. But you know... We need to make sure that our love toward our children is not only genuine and real, but it's visible. You know, we need to show them how we unselfishly serve them at times. doesn't mean the kids run the home. I'm not talking about that. But we need to show them genuine affection. We need to sacrifice for them. Just having children is a sacrifice. But sometimes you need to get down at their level and explain that to them. So love your children. And the last word that he touched on was trust. See, after parents have done everything humanly possible to raise their children in the, the love and the instruction and admonition of the Lord, ultimately they have to trust God to make their efforts fruitful. Because I'll tell you right now, parents, you cannot save your children. You're not the Savior. He is. You're called to point their hearts to him. 
Only the Holy Spirit can reach into that human heart, even the heart of a child. And only his power can give that spiritual life and transform that little heart and empower spiritual faithfulness. So five little key words there that hopefully can help you out. So we're responsible to evangelize our children. We're also responsible to educate our children. Uh, These parents here in this text were bringing their children to Jesus, not to have a birthday party, not to have balloons and cake. They were coming for a very specific purpose. They were telling their children that they saw something special in Christ. Remember back then, I mean, usually you had to travel. I mean, this wasn't something, these were parents from the Perea area there, probably Jewish parents coming for the blessing from the teacher. But you know what? It wasn't just a hop and a skip. They probably had to travel. I mean, they had to sacrifice. They stood in line in the heat and and, and Jesus' blessing and praying for these children. The parents saw the importance of educating their children, not only themselves, but taking them to a place where they can be engaged spiritually. We have a responsibility, as I said before, to model our faith. Because if your kids are looking at your faith and they're saying, you know, mom and dad are just like everybody else. I mean, we go to church and everything, but outside of church, nothing changes. They don't model anything. Kids are real quick to spot a phony, let me tell you. They know a phony when they see one. They can see hypocrisy. You don't want them to model that. So you have to live faithfully. You have to educate your children faithfully about the things of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, that word nurture there refers to the whole training and education of a child. That your, your responsibility lies to bring that child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Um, it's not the public school teacher's responsibility to see that our children come to Christ. Especially here in California, let me tell you. anything but, right? But it's our duty to make sure that we bring them face-to-face with the Savior. That's all we can do. And if we make much of Jesus in front of them, they'll be much more likely to come to him at an early age and remain faithful to him as they mature. So educate your children. Also encourage your children. When the parents came to Jesus and their children... With their children, they were encouraging them to approach the Savior. Uh, Christian parents are told in Ephesians chapter 6, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That word admonition has the idea of encouragement. Don't be discouraging to your children. We ought to encourage our children to seek the things of God. Teach them to pray at an early age. Make the Bible a big part of your daily life in your family. Pray with them before they go to bed. Bring them to Sunday school or vacation Bible study or whatever. I mean, it's, it's so important to expose them that way. You know, I've, as a youth pastor, I used to run into parents all the time and say, oh, we're not going to push anything on our children. We're just going to let them grow up, and, and whatever they choose is going to be fine with us. You know, beloved, that's like taking a, a field out here somewhere in Redwood City, an empty field, and say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to let that thing go and not do anything to it, and next week or next, this fall I'm going to come back and I'm going to harvest everything that's there. What do you think is going to be there? Weeds. That's all that's going to be there. You're not going to have fruit. You're not going to have stuff that you can eat. You're going to have weeds. Why? Because you didn't do anything about it. 
We need to make sure that we're teaching our children, we're encouraging our children in the admonition of the Lord. So that's a little bit about our responsibility as parents, even as a church. Well, I think also we can learn from this text because it says a little bit about redemption. Uh, It highlights adult responsibility toward a child's spiritual foundation, clearly. But it also speaks about the matter of salvation. And here's what it implies. First of all, it implies the fact that children are invited to come to the Savior. It implies that they need a Savior. I mean, as lovely and as cute and cuddly as your little child is, let me help you understand, they're little sinners. And if you're a parent for any time, you don't need me to explain that to you. You understand that. They do what they want to do when they want to do it. They don't ask you, hey, I'm going to cry right now. Is it okay, Mom, Dad? No, they don't do that. Mind if I go in my pants again? I just went, but I'm just going to go again. No, they don't, they don't ask permission. Okay? They, they're on their own schedule. And it's the role of a parent to take that little sinner and conform them <laughs> and bring them under the rule of the parents. I mean, children definitely possess a sense of innocence, but they still are in need of salvation. And that's why parents and other concerned adults, we have to do everything we can to bring children face to face with the claims of the gospel. It's not our duty to save them. Once again, that's not your duty, but it's our duty to expose to them the word of God. And when children hear the gospel preached, taught, and lived out in a faithful way, they're far more likely to embrace Christ at a young age. That's what Paul told Timothy. He said, even from your childhood, you knew the Holy Scriptures. Someone was faithful to do that. So it implies that. It involves, what does it involve? It involves whether, whenever a discussion about childhood salvation comes up, Have you ever heard this phrase, the age of accountability? You heard that phrase? People use it all the time. Well, I I don't think they're at the age of accountability, so they're, quote, safe. And usually churches, you say, well, what age is the age of accountability? For some reason, they fall at the age of 12. They say, well, 12 is the age, which is kind of ridiculous. All right? Um, it's just tradition. Well, when a child reaches 12, then you know it's time for them to get saved. It's time for them to get baptized, join the church, the whole thing. I don't like that, that phrase, age of accountability. I never have. Because it's almost like the child gets a free pass to that age, whenever it is. Uh, let me share this with you this morning. A child becomes accountable for his or her sins when they come to a place when they can understand the difference between right and wrong, And when they're able to choose between right and wrong. Very key. I like to use the phrase age of decision. When a child's able to make that decision, I think it's better than the age of accountability. When a person reaches a level of mental understanding regarding the nature of sin and its consequences, and they're able to make a decision for or against Jesus Christ, that's when they've reached that age of decision. And as we put all this information in front of them and we're praying with them, we're modeling our faith. What is that age? Well, it's different for every child. I've talked to children, frankly, at four years old. And and they can explain the gospel to me frontwards, backwards, upside down, and and they're ready to serve God. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but I have. 
And I've talked to teenagers that don't have a clue. They've been raised in church all their life. So where is that age of decision? I don't know. It's different for every child. Some people come to Christ young. Some people come to Christ a little older in life. Some people, maybe with mental handicaps, emotional problems, maybe they never come to that place where they can honestly make that decision. You know, when you reach a place in your life where you understand that, first of all, you're a sinner, that you've done something that's displeasing to God, where you understand that you're going to a place called hell, because that's what the Bible says, as judgment for your sins, and where you understand that Jesus Christ died for you and he rose from the, gan- uh, rose from the, the grave to save you. When you understand that, then you need to be saved. You need to come to Christ and you need to trust him. You need to cry out to him and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just because our children are young, don't assume that they don't need to be saved. Kids grow up quickly today in our day and age, and they need to know about the Lord. God will save them. You just keep praying for them. You keep exposing them to the gospel. You be faithful. And what God has called you to do, he'll be faithful in his role as well. Let me just touch on one other thing here. I've talked to a lot of parents. Sometimes, you know, their children will be interested in spiritual things for about two seconds. Okay? And uh, so the little child, they're sitting at dinner one day, and all of a sudden little Timmy or whatever his name is, starts talking about the Lord. And, you know, the parents have been exposing him to the spiritual things, and all of a sudden Timmy starts talking about the Bible and starts to talk about Jesus, and they get all excited. And pretty soon, you know, uh, you know, little Timmy formulates this question, whatever the question may be. And it's almost like the parents don't even hear the question. Because they're so excited that little Timmy is interested in spiritual things that, Timmy, do you want to receive Jesus? Do you want to pray this prayer right now? Here, let me help you pray this prayer right now, Timmy. And they put these words in their children's mouths, and the, the, the children don't know any better, so they'll go ahead and pray this prayer, thinking, okay, mom and dad are saying to do this, so I'm going to do it. That's not a good approach. Just let me say right up front, that's not a good approach. Be patient. Be patient with your children. You know, when we were exposed to the gospel, most of us didn't, as soon as we heard it, wow, I'm going to get saved right away. No. It took God a little while to work in our hearts and and kind of work through this whole thing. It was a journey. And it's the same thing with your children. As you are faithful to expose to them these spiritual truths, you know what? The best thing is take some time and ask them some pointed questions. If they're interested in salvation, if they come to you and say, hey, can I be saved? Ask them, what does it mean to be saved? Can you tell me what it means to be saved? Ask them a question, why do you feel you need to be saved? Can you explain how a person gets saved? Can you explain to me what sin is? See, these are very basic questions that a believer needs to understand and that someone who's coming to Christ needs to be able to answer. Because if they can't answer those basic questions, they don't have a clue what they're doing. 
And so if they don't understand, you know what? You just be faithful. You just keep praying for your children. You keep talking about the Lord. And you know what? They're going to come back. But don't push it. Don't overdo it. Don't oversell it. Sometimes even in evangelism, when we're out sharing our faith with people and, and someone comes up and you start dialoguing with them and you're sharing Christ with them, and pretty soon, I mean, you're, you're trying to close this deal. And they just want to know what church you go to. You know, and you're kind of pushing all this stuff on them and it kind of just blows them away. I've always made it a practice that when, when I'm sharing the Lord with somebody, no matter who it is, I'll share the initial gospel with them, and then I'll say, okay, Lord, if they're interested, have them ask me a question. Or have them say the next word. I'm not just going to stand here and preach at them. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I've been amazed that sometimes weeks go by, and that same individual will come back, and they'll say, you know what, when we were talking like two months ago, and you mentioned this thing about heaven and hell, do you really believe that? Or whatever they might say. They bring up the conversation again. You know, God's doing a work, and you just have to be patient. He's doing a work in your children. You just be patient. Don't over-answer them. Don't try to pressure them. They'll come back. They'll come to the Lord when they understand and when, when God is moving and working in their heart. And when they pray, don't tell them what to pray. Let them pray whatever's on their heart. And as they, you know, sometimes some of the teachers say, oh, it's funny, you know, downstairs in the Sunday school classes, sometimes they have, you know, they have a prayer time. Sometimes people, they'll ask for the funniest things to pray for. And, uh, it, you know, but that's, that's a child's heart, and that's okay. We don't, we don't need to be offended at that or whatever. That's the simplicity of their faith. Um, so... What happens to little children before they reach that age of decision? I think the Bible clearly shows us that they are safe in Christ. That they are safe in Christ. Um, you know, you look at some of these countries around the world where they, they have thousands and thousands of children dying, you know, on a regular basis because of poverty or starvation or whatever it might be, and you look at that situation and your heart breaks. You know, you've seen the pictures of the kids with, you know, the little ribs, and oh, it's horrible. And, you know, the only hope I can bring out of that is, is that, you know what, when those small little children pass from this life into the next, I really believe that they are safe in the hands of Christ. I really believe that. I believe parents who have lost children to death or miscarriage or stillbirth should never fear that their little ones, they will one day be in heaven. They will be reunited with them. I mean, even all the, the, the babies that are aborted, how horrible that is. I believe those little ones will be in the presence of God. Sometimes I think in those foreign countries, if they would reach that age of decision or maturity in their pagan environment, they may never come to Christ. But I think God just supernaturally provides for them. And it might even be his grace upon their lives to take them early so that they could be with him. The whole matter of children coming to Jesus was used by the Lord as an illustration. And he says there clearly that 
All who come to him must come as a little child. When you come to the Lord, you can't come with your pride and all your your belongings and everything. He's referring here to these uh, special characteristics that separate children from adults. Children are basically trusting. They're humble. They're dependent. Those are requirements of a person that needs to come to Christ. There was a dear lady who took her children into a uh, restaurant to eat just to show you the kind of innocence of a child simplicity of their faith and uh, it was kind of a diner and they had a a uh, counter there where you could sit at the counter and all the booze were filled up and so she had like four or five kids and it was full I mean it was breakfast hour everybody's in there but they found seats at the diner on those little round seats but they were kind of scattered across the the serving table there, the, the, um, the counter. And so her daughter, her eight-year-old daughter, was all the way down at the end of the counter sitting by herself because they couldn't sit together as a family. And uh, they got their food and everything, and all of a sudden the mother heard her daughter cry out, Mother, don't people say grace in this place? And a hush came over the entire diner. And before the mother could even figure out what to say, the man at the counter said, Yes, we do, sister. You say it. And he said that all the people at the counter bowed their heads, and Mary bowed her head, this little girl, in a clear voice. She said, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. See, you don't know the simplicity of that prayer, the simplicity of that child's faith. See, that's what we need to be. That's what we need to be like when we come to Christ. Regardless of our age, we must be willing to humble ourselves before God. We must be willing to lay down our pride over the life that we lived and the achievements that we have. God's not interested in that. We have to humble ourselves by acknowledging our sins before God. We have to be willing to admit that all of our works, all of our religious activity can never save us. It can't save us. Next week, we're going to be looking at the rich young ruler who came to Jesus in Matthew 19. And he would not lose his pride. He would not lose his money. And he would not lose his self-righteousness. And you know what? He left the presence of Jesus with all his possessions. He had everything he came with. But he left without Christ. He left without the Savior. The simplicity of faith. A person must look to Jesus by faith, trusting him, and trusting in his finished work on the cross completely for their soul's salvation. And that requires that childlike qualities of trust, humility, and dependence. It's the only way anyone can ever receive salvation. Last thing here, quickly, a word about the Redeemer. Not only speaks about our responsibility and redemption, it also says something about the Savior. When you stop and you look at this text and you see Christ standing up for these children and their parents, we can see his heart. In verse 13, the disciples thought that Jesus was just too busy for these kids. And as they brought all these kids to Christ, continually bringing him, they thought, well, we need to rebuke these parents. But Christ stepped right in. Children, I believe, hold a special place in the Lord's heart. I mean, he literally got 
angry at his disciples over this matter. When you stop and you think about it, children can't serve him like we serve him. They can't contribute to the offering like we contribute. But you know what? Jesus holds a special place in his heart for children. And I think it's very clear why. And he reaches out to them in grace. It just shows us simply, beloved, that God is not interested in what we can do. God is not interested in what we can give or how old we are. He simply invited people to come to him on the basis of pure grace. That's what it's about. Jesus loved lost sinners and he invites them to come to him. You can see that in Revelation 22:17, Matthew 11:8, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever comes to him should have eternal life. It's such an important truth. We see the heart of Christ. We also see his hands. It says that he laid his hands on him, on these children. That doesn't mean he spanked them. (laughs) He did it as a blessing. But he took time for these kids as they came before him, no matter how young they were, no matter how insignificant they appeared to be. Jesus cared, and he took time to care for them. You know, what does that say to us here today? It says this, never think for an instant that Jesus doesn't care about you. Don't think that. He loves you. And he will not turn you away if you come to him. No matter where your path of life has taken you, no matter what you have done, no matter how insignificant you may feel, I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ will save you and he'll change your life if you're just willing to come to him as a child. He cares about your condition. He's going to take time to touch your life in a way that only he can. If you only come to him by faith, regardless of whether you're saved or lost here this morning, young or old, I want you to understand that Jesus cares about you. And if he's calling you today, it'd be a wonderful time to bow your heart, to bow your, your life to him, the Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, maybe there's some here in this room who have never completed their faith in Christ. Maybe they've been on a journey for a while. Maybe they've been checking things out. While this message was definitely about the children that came to Christ and their parents, it's not only for children. If there's any here who have never been saved, regardless of your age, and you understand your need of a Savior, you need to come to Christ. He died on the cross to save you. Maybe your life has gotten complicated by living an adult in this world we, we live in. And uh, maybe you need some help from God today. I, I just want you to know that you can get it. Maybe sin has crept into your relationship between you and Christ. It's hindering your walk with him. 
He can forgive you today. He can restore that relationship. I know if you come to him as a child, you'll find that his grace will be sufficient for you. If there are needs in your life, you can come to him like those little children did 2,000 years ago. And you can find what you need. Father, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, we pray that we would be reminded that God does hold a special, you do hold a special place, Lord, in your heart for children. Father, we thank you for the children here in this church. And Lord, we thank you for the parents that faithfully parent these children 24-7, day in and day out. Lord, it's an overwhelming task, and yet you've given them the grace to do it. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bless their efforts to raise their young children up in the way of the Lord. Lord, that you would save these little hearts at a young age that they may grow up serving you. Father, if they have questions, if they have things that aren't clear in their own minds, even, even the children here this morning, Lord, that they would turn to you. They would ask you first, God, to help them with their misunderstanding. And then, Lord, that their parents would encourage them in this way as well. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.